Welcome to Take a Moment. I'm Nathan Bennett. And I'm Mari Yamaguchi. And this is part two of our special series on leadership through crisis. And it's been a heavy, heavy several weeks. I know it has been especially hard on our Black colleagues, friends, family, and peers. And it's hard conversations, but things that need to be said. One of the things that we, as employees of Genesis, have had the fantastic privilege of having is a leader who understands this and has taken action. I, along with several of my Black colleagues here at Genesis, were fortunate enough to participate in a webinar that was in all hands that really dissected what was going on. One of the people that led off that conversation is our new diversity, equity, and inclusion officer, Eric Thomas. Eric and Tony join us today to continue that conversation in a light of what else we can be doing to lead the way in hopefully making a better tomorrow and a better future for not only ourselves, but for our children and our children's children. Absolutely, Mari. And to be honest, a difficult conversation to have. I felt unprepared, unequipped, I guess, to have it. You know, it's interesting that it's time for many of us to be uncomfortable. It's time for many of us to realize that the actions that have been taken have been too little, too late. And what we can be doing now as individuals, as a community, and certainly as a company, there are so many things that uh, Eric and Tony lay out in their conversation. And we approach this in a little bit different way. For those of you who have been listeners to take a moment for a while now, you know that Mari and I usually just have a great conversation with our guests. In this instance, we felt like we kind of wanted to play more of the backseat drivers in a way. We kind of wanted to prompt Tony and Eric with some questions and let them kind of have the conversation that they needed to have and, and let it be as informative, as sincere, as heartwarming and as difficult as it was. And I think you're gonna hear a lot of that today. And it was incredible also to kind of hand the reins over to let two leaders really just have that honest discussion and also peel the curtains back from Oz's world and really see the personal stories and how each of them are affected personally as well too. And I think that's something that's super special, especially in a time like this when we are looking to leaders for safety, security, trust, and like you said, honesty and transparency, I think has been phenomenal. Right. And we've mentioned empathy before, which is a theme that Tony instilled in us really from day one uh, here at Genesis. Before everything that happened in 2020 happened, we have been talking about empathy internally and how that informs the decisions that we make, the technology that we create, the interactions that we have. We couldn't need empathy more in the world, certainly in our communities, in our families. But man, it has to start somewhere. I know there are many corporations that are looking to do the right thing for a lot of great, great reasons. And it is a privilege to be a part of an organization that does lead with clarity, with decisiveness, with quick response. But it seems like all of that is completely and totally informed by the empathy from the leadership that we have. It was a tough conversation, but it was human, it was honest, and it was absolutely valuable. So I hope you take a moment with us.
Eric, I know you are a father of two grown children. And one of the things we always love to hear from our guests is what they have learned from their children about life in general. What have you learned from your kids? Your kids are now in their 20s. You have a son and a daughter, right? I, I do. I have a 22-year-old recent college graduate. She's my daughter, and we're very proud of. Congratulations uh, to her. She's uh, Thank you. She's headed to graduate school. And my son is, is 20. He's headed into his junior year in college. And I think the real question is what haven't I learned from them? <laughs> you know, fatherhood is a journey, kind of how I see it, right? And, and the kids... They take you through different phases as they go through different phases. And it's, it's, a, it's a constant learning. I feel it a privilege. Actually, I see it as a privilege because it helps me with growth, continuing to grow. I, I can be pretty stubborn in my views at times, and they'll let, they're old enough now to kind of let me know that. Not only to let me know that, but they're a bit more aggressive in offering alternative perspectives, which kind of forces the growth. And it's interesting, even with this conversation around what's happening in the country and in the world right now with all the civil unrest. I was having a conversation with my, uh, my son and my daughter yesterday. And I think that it, I was really want to understand how they're looking at things in terms of hope, right? In terms of hope for change, because I'm always concerned about despair and them, you know, not having a sense of knowing that things really can change and that they can play a role in that. And it was very refreshing to hear both of them share their perspectives that you know, in the grip that they have on what's happening, their, their understanding of kind of the history and what's kind of led to what's, what's happening with, you know, some of the, the racial injustices. And, but their, their view was, it was so different than the view I've carried for a long time, right? I won't say I, I'm a fan of whitewashing history. That's, I think that's probably too strong. I've always been an individual that tries to say, let's look forward and not backwards. And I think what the kids have taught me is that if you don't understand history enough, if you don't understand the details of how we got here, then how do you think we ever push forward if we don't acknowledge and accept that this is what brought us to this situation and, and then kind of unpack what that is to understand where we course correct and move forward. And, and I know it probably sounds very simple, but it was so profound coming from them and from their generation because that's how they're looking at it. And it forced me to change my perspective, right, about it. So uh, that's one of the many things I'm, I continue to learn from them. Eric, is there something that you look at in the future for your kids that you're excited for them about with the recent changes in the world? Are you, when you talked about hope, is there hope that you have for them now that may not have existed previous to the events of the last couple of months? The short answer is yes. I think one of the many things that I'm hopeful for, a change that enables them to be able to navigate differently than say how th their mom and I have had to navigate, whether it's in your you know, corporate America and our careers and just in society in general, and even a further change in even how our parents had to navigate. It's that type of change that I'm hopeful for. It was uh, one of the many conversations I was having with my son yesterday He's like, Dad, you should write a book. And I was like, well, what are you talking about? He said, because I've told him stories over the years about the challenges I've had navigating corporate America in my career. And I've told him those stories not to create any type of alarm with him, but more as a preparation and, and helping him understand that he gets older and he starts pursuing whatever his passions are. You know, these are the types of things you need to be prepared for, right, as an African-American male. I, I think I told him a story about an interview 
that I had where I had a very good phone interview, phone screening with an executive with one of my former companies. And it was scheduled for 30 minutes. It went for 45 minutes, great conversation. And then when I went for the in-person interview, the guy walked in a room and basically within five minutes, he said, I think I'm in the wrong place, right? I mean, there's a mistake here. And I tell him stories like that so he, he can prepare himself. And I tell him stories about how little tactics I've used over the years to try to diffuse any prejudices or, or biases uh, that, that others may have because of my presence or, or whatever it is. I played college football and, you know, so I have a, a large stature, if you will. And sometimes that can be very intimidating. And I've come to learn that it can be very intimidating with certain people. And I've had tactics over the years that I've used to diffuse that, to de-escalate that on the front end so it doesn't distract for whatever the purpose of the meeting is, whether it's, you know, making sure that when I shake someone's hand, I greet them with a smile. There's a small tactic that I've used where I take the person's hand and put it on top of mine while I'm shaking their hand and subconsciously, I don't even realize it, but I've already kind of, you know, there's no power struggle here. You, you, you have it, right? And just kind of break down any type of prejudices so we can focus on the matters at hand. And my son's going, dad, why would you do that? And I could see the disgust in his face. And then he quickly stopped. He said, well, you know what? I get it. You had to do that. And then that whole exchange with him was like fuel for me to say, you shouldn't have to do that. We have to create an environment in a world where you don't have to use those tactics to be accepted or to be you know, recognized for your talents, whatever you're doing. So it, it's those types of discussions in itself, Nathan, are very hopeful because I can, I can see hope in their eyes and it's not complete despair. And it gives me hope and fuel to be a part of, you know, whatever changes that we need to usher in for the next generation. You know, Nate, I, uh, maybe I could just had a very different perspective. But, you know, I have four children, three sons and a daughter, and they range from 22 to 11. And I think one thing that you said, Eric, that really I noticed is that there's a level of courage and fearlessness and a thirst to learn in that generation. And, and maybe it's uh, there's more access to information. You know, maybe we're just at this moment where you see it. You see young people really, really standing up and stepping up. And, and I think my learning is actually they're very deep in the conversation and open to the conversation in a way that, that frankly, personally, has been very, very difficult, you know, very hard to know sometimes what to say, how to even approach it. And I think back to a conversation with my, my 11-year-old, Ethan, and we were talking about racial injustice and and I was kind of really tiptoeing around this. And he's like, look, dad, you know, let's just talk about it. Let's just have the dialogue. And I think that to your point, Eric, is there's, a, there's hope because I see that that generation, our, our children's generation is really, they're really in it. They're really in the moment. And it is it's definitely hopeful. But to your point, I think, um, and we all have different experiences and yours are so, so powerful, I think is there are some good experiences and lessons learned that we do want to impart. I mean, I think this is kind of at the root of parenting in general is what's that balance of how do you give them that creative space to ask questions, to learn and, and to push you as a parent. But at the same time, you know, you want to shelter them and take care of them and give them those experiences. And some of the stories you've shared uh, not only with me, but with the company have really, really, I think, struck a chord with all of us of, of, of how do you do that balance? And, and I think balance is a key word. Balance and for me, evolution, because, you know, I, I look back now having the conversation with my 22 year old daughter and 20 year old son now and light up what's going on, having these types of conversations. 
and I reflect back on what I thought were me teaching them lessons and how to prepare themselves and how to navigate this world earlier, I think my views are changing. Tony, you, you use the word fearless and, and I love it. And I want my kids to be fearless. While the intent all along has always been to kind of prepare them how to navigate and be strategic and how they approach things. I think when it comes to interacting with the police, I probably won't change what I've told them. But when it comes to them navigating and pursuing their passions and their dreams, I'm now reflecting and wondering whether it was appropriate to, you know, try to arm them with all these tactics, or, or do I just allow them to be them whole, their whole selves and show up to be who they, their authentic selves and push their environment to accept who they are. My thought itself is also changing. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a thin line, you know, between fearlessness and carelessness. And I, I, I really <laughs> hear you and look, as, as has come to light, it's very difficult. And for many folks, this is, this is not just a thin line. This is a lifeline as we've, as we've seen. So I think that I think all of us as parents, really, we, we want our children to find that passion, be authentic, create that drive. You know I mean? We, I'll just share a personal story. My wife and I, we often think about what's the family mission statement. And we always end up coming back to kind of one thing, which is find a strong drive and passion that drives work ethic. And the rest kind of takes care of itself. And I think that the, this recent, as you mentioned, hopeful uh, change, is, it's really surfacing that. Like, how, how do you create that kind of passion and keep it going? Once you find it, how do you keep that momentum? You know, it's, it's a challenge I think we both have as leaders, but it's also a challenge you have as a parent, you know, and it's sort of how far do you push? How far do you use the tactics versus letting them learn? And I think that speaks to a lot of the journey we're on as Genesis as we think about this you know, really, really important, not only moment, but I think an issue for the company that you're leading that new global officer uh, in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Erica, a few weeks ago, you participated in a, um, a Genesis-wide kind of webinar, and you shared uh, some of your story about being a father in the current climate today. And I have shared portions of your story with folks that I've come into contact with because it was a watershed moment for me as far as my understanding of privilege. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the things that you have told your kids to be prepared for or ways that in which you've had to prepare them to go out and face the world in a way that is safe. From a safety standpoint, you know, there are a number of tactics that my wife and I have used or leveraged to, you know, to try to, keep our kids safe. I mentioned on that webinar how we moved into, we moved into our recent neighborhood here about four years ago. It's a very nice part of Dallas. It's an area my wife and I have dreamed about living in since we moved to Dallas some 20 plus years ago. We just couldn't really afford it. And so we're at that stage where we're able to kind of buy our dream house in a neighborhood where we wanted to be. Beautiful neighborhoods, house we live in is 60 some years old, trees are over a hundred years old. So you just can imagine what that looks like. But one of the first things we did is we changed the addresses of our kids on their, on their IDs because they were driving by that time we moved over here so that their address reflected where we live, right? Now, it sounds, you know, common. I think, I don't know, some states may even be, require that, but it's not really required here in Texas. But it was a conscious move we made so that if you're out walking in the neighborhood, going for a jog or, or whatever it is, if you get pulled over while driving, you know, it's the uh, law enforcement can see from your ID, I live here. So I, I belong here. And that was kind of one of the first things we did. 
several conversations we've had with them over the years, particularly when they got old enough to drive, about how they handle, you know, different interactions when, you know, with the police. You get pulled over and ensure that, you know, you turn the music down. If you've got music going, there are teenagers, so they probably got music going. Turn the music down or turn it off. Keep your hands on the steering wheel in positions at 10 and 2 o'clock. You know, you kind of demonstrate that for them. Make sure you have your ID and insurance card available because that's most likely what's going to be asked for. And don't reach for anything. Keep your hands visible where, you know, the officer can see them. More importantly, depending on how the conversation unfolds, if you get an officer that may be a bit overzealous, you don't participate in that type of exchange. You keep your head, you keep cool, you keep things de-escalated because what's more important than your pride or your ego or you figure thinking you need to win this conversation is you coming home safe. And so, you know, these are the types of conversations we've had to have, but a lot of Black parents have. I'm guessing by now, if you pick up your paper or read in any article or listen to any type of conversations that folks are having around the country, you'll see that that's just not something unique my wife and I have done. It's pretty common. Again, Tony said drawing that line between carelessness and fearlessness. I mean, you, you want to strike that balance with your kids to be confident in who they are, but also recognizing some of the challenges that we face in, in the realities of our society and being smart and strategic about how you navigate it. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, just to touch on when, when you told that story, Eric, it struck right at the root of the issue, right? Which, you know, when we talk about privilege and what it's like, the differences for people in their everyday lives, it really, I mean, just on a personal level, and I, I speak, I think, for the company, you know, it's a metaphor of the much bigger issue that we'll, we'll dive into a little bit today. And I remember, and I, I, I'll share, I sent a note to Eric, I and I would encourage any everyone out there, if they haven't watched it, to watch uh, the movie The Hate You Give. And uh, there's an opening scene, a very strong character, I think his name was Matt, who does exactly what you just described. He's sitting down with his kids and talking about these rules. And, you know, unfortunately, in this, in this particular story, things go real bad, even though they're following all of those rules. And, and you know, of course, we've seen this happen time and time again and it hit home and I, I, I remember crying and, uh, and I sent Eric a note that night saying, I'm thinking of you and I'm thinking of your family and it's something that has to change. I mean, it, I'm hopeful that it will, but it just has to change. It's just not right. It's not privilege. It's this everyday expectation of everyone in their life that, that they shouldn't have to feel like at any moment they, they could you know, have their life taken away from them just by the way they may react. You know, and that's not just carelessness. I mean, that's just just basic rights that people are dealing with. So I think it, 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 it's a really important that you recognize how that I think that sparked, sparked a flame in, in all of us in the company. And, you know, again, just as we talked about, it's courageous to do that. I mean, just to share for, the, for all of the listeners, hopefully listening to this. I mean, we had thousands of people join this webinar. It was just, just the beginning and we have tremendous amount of work to do, but I think it really brought it to life. And, and I, you know, what I think brought life to life was that a number of our employees with Eric really leading the way told their stories and just, just a small window, obviously it's much, much broader than this into what it's like to deal with racial injustice in, in their daily lives, whether like you mentioned within the corporate context or within their personal lives. And it's, it's just has to change. And we're going to try our best to do those changes. And I think best part is really starting with just trying to learn as you mentioned earlier how do you educate people 
how do we understand both how we got here, but more importantly, how do we move forward? And, you know, I, I use this phrase and, and I would encourage everyone to think like this if they can, which is right now, listening is really learning, not telling people and subscribing to instant answers, but really hearing each other, being there, being allies. And that's kind of, I think, what we're, we're trying to do, right, Eric? We're trying to start that. And, you know, I feel that we probably should have been more forward focused on it, but we are where we are now. And we're trying to move ahead and first create an open, safe and trusted place for our employees to share their stories and then, and then work on initiatives to, to do what we can in our smaller part of the Genesis world. But hopefully that flows over into our local communities and, and not just in the U.S., but globally. You're right. That's exactly what we're trying to do. And I will tell you this, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, the openness, the courage to be able to share that story with the broader group, the broader company, you open that door. And I think that that's what is, at least here at Genesis and probably with a, at a number of corporations across the, the globe, because I've had an opportunity in the last week or so to speak with a number of colleagues to kind of get a feel for how they're handling it and navigating these waters. And, I, and I, I do see a common theme where leadership has taken the courageous approach that you took by opening that door and allowing for these uncomfortable conversations to occur. It fuels the courage for either myself or even the, 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 call, the conversations we had yesterday with members of our, of our LGBTQ community. It's the courage to be able to come to work and have that type of conversation and share without fear of being labeled the victim or you're pulling the race card or all the other things that have occurred in the past when you maybe have tried to attempt having these types of discussions with colleagues in the workplace or debates that surface, you know, where people are trying to argue different sides that racism that exist or that, you know, that it isn't what you're, you're portraying it to be. You just get to a point where you go, you know what, this is not the place to have this conversation. Let's stay away from anything dicey, anything socioeconomic or political. And, and I think when it comes to race relations, when it comes to hate, when it comes to injustices, I, I am so pumped at the opportunity that we have here at Genesis to drive meaningful change. And I'm honored to be able to be part of the, the group that's going to usher that in. But I'm pumped about it because you opened the door. And I'm telling you, had that not occurred, we'd be sitting right here where we were when Mike Brown was killed or when Eric Gardner was killed or when all these other incidents occurred. It is, it is that type of change, that type of change in response, that type of leadership, that type of allyship that is going to be key to really moving the needle. And I'm so grateful that, it, that, that you did that. And my mom always used to say, or she always said, that the, you know, it's a meaning and a reasoning for everything. And I joined Genesis a couple of years ago and I came here through relationships, but I also came here because I was seeking a, you know, professional growth. And I'm not a person that jumps around from company to company. I was looking for a home and I told myself I was going to give it three or five years to assess if this is the place where I wanted to be. And I think I found that decision, you know, last week. So I appreciate you opening that door. And I, I sitting on the LGBTQ call yesterday and, and listening to the individuals there sharing, and then reading through all the different responses in the chat group, you could see that door opening. People were speaking up, and, and I think it's going to open a door to have the type of courage where people can feel like they can have them conversations safely, and not just with the others that are other gay people, or not just with other Black people, having a conversation with their colleagues. And I think it, it's, it's when you talk about creating that safe space, when you talk about creating 
inclusion and belonging, which is one of the key pillars that we're going to be pushing in the BENI office, having that awareness, global awareness, not just in the U.S., global awareness, I think it creates a space for everyone to come with their unique differences and feel apart and feel like they belong. That's what I'm pumped about. One of the things that I've been noticing throughout both of, when both of you are talking is this theme of hope, courage, and empathy. And as leaders and going through multiple crises as we've had since the beginning of the year, do those principles still remain the same as you lead through each of these crises? Do you lean on one area more than the other? How does that process look like as you're leading people, right, like humans, through crisis, challenges, and change? Great question, Mari. Let me just maybe give sort of perspective. And I think it, just to reflect, like you mentioned, these are both major crises, global. They're different, right, in their diagnostic, their manifestation, but fundamentally they're global issues that have massive impact, whether it's on the economy or on the psyche of whole nations, frankly. And in a lot of ways, when I look back at kind of the approach that at least I try to think about, there's some similarities, you know. You look at the pandemic and a lot of us were kind of in denial. You look at racial injustice and a lot of us have been in denial. It's kind of, as you mentioned, Eric, so that we'll get to why now, I think, in a moment. But yeah, it's there, but these are the reasons why, or you sort of, oh, it's too difficult to discuss. And then what I always think about is, well, what's the data? How do we get at the data? How do we really get a better understanding? And in many ways, they have the same challenges. They're shrouded in misinformation, you know, without getting too political about it, some propaganda, different belief systems. But then there's a moment of the data's overwhelming. And in, in the case of George Floyd, I mean, let's just face it, the data is overwhelming and it's right there and it's in your face and it is brutal and unjust. And it just, it tipped, it tipped not only me as a, a individual, but I think it tipped a nation and it tipped the world as we've now seen. And that kind of happened with COVID-19. It tipped at some point. This went beyond the borders of one country or, you know, one continent. And then you gotta, you got to react. And I think that, again, we, we, could, we could talk a lot about how do we get here and so on. But the approach I, I felt is let's, let's make some decisions and make them now. And let's move quickly because I think that it does create hope when you see some leadership around it. We, we did this. And we talked about it in, in, in a previous uh, podcast we did together around making quick decisions about the safety of our employees, making quick decisions about the safety of our partners, making quick decisions about how we support our customers. And I feel like we did the same. But what we did, we gathered some data, right? We, we, I asked the question to the whole organization about what is it we can do differently and how quickly can we get at that? And, you know, it, frankly, it starts right with the decision and I'm so happy we've made it with, with Eric stepping up to the plate and really leading this very, very important role for the company on a global level because it is a global issue. And now I think it's about how do we work through issues? How do we make people first feel safe? Very similar to what we did with the COVID crisis. How do, how do we get to a new normal? And it is a new normal. It's a new set of initiatives. It's a new way of thinking. And then how do we adapt to that and keep it going? You know, and I'll just step back for one second from the real issue that we're talking about today. And so we have that same challenge uh, in the business. Like everyone's sort of been running on incredible adrenaline. I talked about it before and we came together for our 
employees and our customers. But how do you keep that going? And I think that's something that's really important we discussed today. It feels like there's a moment. It was triggered by this, this brutal, brutal killing of George Floyd. And for me personally, I needed to say something to the company and, and externally because it's, it's time. But we do have to face down the fact that just like if the pandemic keeps moving, we got to keep that, the safety, the openness, the learning, adapting, the listening. That's got to be constant in our approach because fatigue and inertia sets in. And I think, you know, Eric, you, you've seen this in the past and have experience of it, you know, that there has been uprising. People have stepped up. They have been courageous, but it's sort of fizzled. And I just think we can't let that happen. At the highest level to your question, there's a lot of learnings and it's a constant piece of that. I think one other learning for us was be open and transparent in the dialogue. And that helps create the safe space. Just, just like this issue when the crisis hit on, on the pandemic, nobody knew the answers and nobody really knows all the answers here. I mean, there's got to be systemic change, not only in the way I think we think about law enforcement, but across so many parts of industrial complexes in the way that we think about education and, and economies. But you got to take steps through that. And the same thing's been happening in our own businesses. How do we keep the team feeling safe? How do we keep the team driving to the right initiatives? How do we stay focused but give people that time to, to learn and absorb the data and have their own views of it? So I think there's a lot of similarities, different in, in so many ways. But to your point about how you lead through it, I think you have to think about some of the same principles. I don't know how that resonates with you, Eric, but sort of the way I've at least tried to approach it. No, I, I, I agree. I agree. And I think, you know, Tony, you hit on it. There's a moment here that I think everyone's kind of feeling where we have an opportunity to usher in real change, to ensure things are different this time and the outcomes are different than the number that there's so many other you know, scenarios that occurred in our recent past. And the thought process for me coming into this role is you, you, you have to leverage that moment and knowing that we, we do need to take a step back and put into place an infrastructure around diversity, equity, and inclusion that will give us a sustainable model that, you know, so it doesn't fizz out, that it fizz out, that it is something that will truly be culturally driving cultural change. We do need to take that step back, but we can't lose the moment that we're in. Continuing to listen and create an environment, foster an environment of empathy and creating the awarenesses that need to occur with some of the conversations that we're having. I think there's a balance between building momentum and allowing certain things to continue. And at the same time, in parallel, ensuring that it is eventually evolving into something that is sustainable so that, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, because it's not a sprint, it definitely will be a marathon. We can look back and, and say we, we actually made meaningful and measurable change, both in the company, within Genesis, and outside of Genesis, the impact that we did, whatever we, initiatives we drive that we think will be community related and, and support the communities in which we live and our employees live and reside. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of talked about, uh, Ava and I talked about this methodology around, you guys know I come from the software world, so uh, software development. So we talked about this iterative methodology where, you know, let's engage quickly with everyone. It allows us to seize on the level of enthusiasm that we have for what's going on. That's allowed immediate actions to take place, right? In, in terms of, and we're seeing it with the conversations we're having, this podcast, creating the awareness and driving that feeling of freedom 
that people can move toward being more of their authentic self at work. And then from that, let's learn. Let's learn from those engagements. Let's learn from whatever we've done and, and kind of iterate and eventually evolve it into a sustainable model that can carry us forward. And, you know, it, it's my hope that uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, whether it's Eric running it or not, is something that will always be in the DNA of Genesis. I think it has to. I did a podcast earlier this week with a friend of mine, and he asked me a question about, do you feel like you were ever discriminated against in the workplace? And I had to think about that. And I think my honest answer was, have I had challenges with interviewing for jobs? Yes, I've had a couple of scenarios. In the actual workplace with colleagues, I don't think I can ever point at a situation where someone was being blatantly racist. What I saw and what I witnessed from even myself at times and business leaders around me is that we get so focused on the business outcome. We get so focused on driving the valuation of the company or, or hitting some of our more immediate bookings, revenue and, and margin goals that, that there's not as much focus on the culture. And one of the things that I'm hoping that will drive is more awareness and more consciousness among our business leaders, our folk who run the business, that there's a, as much of a focus, a balance and focus on culture as there is on hitting our business outcomes. In the experiences that I had, you know, I never felt they were blatantly racist. I just think it was a little bit of deafness that was there. And hopefully this will drive an awakening to what, quote, leaders, our business leaders, understand that there's, there's as much of an importance behind the culture and who we are as it is with hitting business outcomes. And I'm hoping DEI can have that type of impact. Yeah, I mean, just to touch on culture, I think, you know, when I joined and been just a little over a year, the first thing I did was sort of really listen, sort of put your ear to the rail, go, go around the company globally, all hands, meet customers, partners, trying to figure out like, what is the culture? You know, what, what are the positive and what are the negative attributes? Because with everything, it's kind of a yin and a yang. And I, I'd landed on this notion of one genesis and, and uh, we've talked about it before and it really came out of this idea of you know, a little bit of siloism in the company, a bit of blame but sort of in a passive aggressive way. And I, I kind of called it out. And, and I, I remember sort of when I did, I did that all hands and there's just so much nodding in the room and around. It's almost like someone was just waiting to acknowledge, you know, like, yeah, it's been here, but we sort of haven't opened the conversation. And to your other point, I try to stress continuous learning and a blameless culture. And you know, it's to your point in software, you know, you look at the most modern continuous integration, continuous development, methodologies and culture, they have this incredible notion of a blameless RCA, blameless root cause analysis. Don't point fingers if someone wrote bad code, figure out how to, how to fix it. I think that the thing that we're, we're on the journey on, I think we're making some progress, is that piece is the hardest, actually. It's kind of what you just mentioned. It's we're in this together as a team and you feel the momentum. But how do you feel safe when you make a mistake, and particularly in this area? And I remember thinking about it was the, the Sunday after the terrible event that triggered so much of this for George Floyd. And I just felt so much like I needed to send a message. It was time, both from the heart and also, but again, trying to ground a little bit of balance. And just like everything, you know, as you mentioned, I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't know what the right thing to say is. I don't even sometimes know, you know, the right labels, you know, I mean, um, as, as we were talking about in, you know, the LGBTQ community, I mean, you know, even the use of pronouns now, there's a, there's a formality to it. And if you don't know it, you can, some people shame you. And what I realized in that moment, if we want to create this culture that I just described, you're going to have to be vulnerable 
to making mistakes. And I, I remember working on this mail and what I kept thinking about was, well, how's this going to land on people that are really dealing with this issue? I empathize and sympathize, but it's different for me uh, than it is, say, you, Eric, or for every single individual. So how is this message going to land? And how are people going to feel? Are they going to feel this is just another corporate leader wonk sending some message because you have to send the message? Or is, is it going to help move the conversation forward? And I just want to tell you, I was super nervous about it. And you sort of, as you mentioned, you know, you can get second guessed. Don't say this. Don't do that. And like you mentioned about even your interview process, when you look back on it, like, yeah, did you really show your authentic self? Because there's certain guardrails and things you were thinking about. And I think in race in particular, this has us all a little bit on guard coming in. You don't want to make a mistake, but in a way you sort of have to make mistakes to learn. You really do. If, if you don't, then then why are you doing it? Why are you driving it? Otherwise, it's just sort of pontificating. And I talked about it, but maybe for the audience, that how did that land for you? I always think about that. I didn't know you as well as I have got to know you very rapidly over the last few weeks. But I did think about, is this just going to sort of be a blowback? Is this going to be just a bunch of cynicism? Is it going to spark what I hoped it did? Is a dialogue and an open communication and a belief for us to move forward? And yeah, I still look back on that and still kind of gives me a little bit of butterflies about even sending it, even pushing that send button to Genesis, you know, everyone at Genesis. I could feel that, Tony. I, I could feel it. I could only imagine it. And that's why you, I may have been one of the first people that responded. <laughs> you, were, you were one of the very first people that responded. Because I was sitting, I remember I was sitting on my patio, going through emails, calendar, kind of getting ready for the week. And the email comes through and it's from Tony Bates. Of course, you stop everything you're doing, you read that email. And it was, it was emotional for me because it was a realization for me of the level of courage and courageous leadership that it took for you to take that risk and send that note. And it had the exact response that I anticipated it would have on a, on a broad scale, which was enabling what was to come next, which was this openness, this dialogue, this sense of awareness and this safety for people to come forward and share their stories, right? Because that's how we learn. It's phenomenal to see that at Genesis, but it's also great to see across the country, you're seeing something similar. And, and, I, and I've, in addition to your letter, Tony, I had a number of past colleagues and even current colleagues reaching out, taking the same courageous step. And you could hear the hesitancy in their voice over the phone. They didn't want to misstep or say the wrong thing. You know, Tom Egermeyer called me and you know, Scott Robotic called me. And I think after about the second or third call, I just told them at the front end of the call, hey, 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 safe space. Don't worry about it. I'd appreciate you calling. Don't worry about tripping over words. We're not dealing with all that today. And then you could see the guard come down and then the next, it's just like, how are your family doing? How are you doing? Right. And now it's a real conversation. I think that's going to be part of what's going to drive a lot of change as well. I'm not big on shaming folk for misstepping or misspeaking if your heart's in the right place. And I think, you know, when people's hearts are in the right place and that's how we learn. So, and I'm, and I'm hoping that that'll be the type of culture we'll continue to drive here at Genesis. Hello there, Josh Reed here, producer of Take a Moment. During today's commercial break, we're going to go a little off script. During the conversation, we talked about an email that Tony sent to all Genesis employees in response to the brutal killing of George Floyd. Today, I'm going to have Tony read that email to you all. Thank you, Josh. In the wake of the protests and the riots following the brutal killing of George Floyd. On Sunday, May the 31st, 
I sent the following note to everyone at Genesis. The subject of the email was difficult times and it read, Genesis team, I am writing to acknowledge the unrest that's been taking place over the past few days in cities across the United States. Recognizing there is racial inequality in many, far too many places in the world. First and foremost, I want to assure all employees that we do not tolerate any form of discrimination at Genesis. If anyone feels they are a victim of racial discrimination in the workplace, please reach out to HR or your manager so we can address immediately. Second, as a US-based company, we honor our employees' First Amendment right to express their views and to peacefully protest. As I've expressed with COVID-19, our guiding principle is the safety of our employees and your families first. Use your best judgment as you express your views in this emotional time. Personally, I'm heartbroken to see the current state of events, from the pandemic to the tragic death of George Floyd and so many others, to the civil unrest that is taking place across America. I want to share my concern for you, our employees, who no doubt are overwhelmed by these events as well. I encourage you to have open dialogues with your manager and your colleagues, or send your thoughts to me or anyone on our leadership team on solutions to bridging racial divides. At a time when so much seems beyond our control, we can control our Genesis culture and how we respect and support one another. Please, team, be safe. Tony. We just heard Tony Bates read the company-wide email that he sent out after the murder of George Floyd. But I want to switch gears here. I'd like to talk a little bit more about the emotional and kind of psychological impact that the state of the world has had on you both. And I'm wondering, how are you feeling from the last couple of months? How have you been processing this and kind of what's going on in your minds and your hearts? Over the past couple of weeks, it's just been just emotionally exhausted, yeah. right? You know, okay. I, sitting through the conversation we had yesterday with, with Carl Price and guys, it was just, I, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's strange. This strikes so deeper. This is so much deeper for me personally yeah. as well. Like, I don't, yeah. I mean, it's just who we are as humans, I guess. To, you know, to that <laughs> end, it is, I think there's just like this pent up, I don't know, it's a, it's a rage, it's a, it's a sadness, I think, and it kind of started with the whole COVID thing, just, or at least for me, sort of seeing so much suffering, and then, I don't know, it just sort of compounds one thing after the other. Yeah. Every morning you wake up, and it, I don't know, it's fueling me. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, in a, in a way that I've never seen. On, on, the, mm-hmm. on the flip side is just, we're talking about cross-state shutdown. Well, the, 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 there's so much that's happening now, it's like there's this, momentum building on top of momentum, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, like this movement is starting to unpack all those different things, whether it's looking at police reform, if it's looking at how healthcare, how COVID is impacting and is disproportionately impacting people of color and, and, and people that are impoverished. It's almost like if you know the history of how the civil rights movement unfolded in the 60s, even though it, it the, the impetus was with Black folk, there were so many other things that came along with it. Women's suffrage and, and the, the LGBTQ movement came on the, you know, kind of attached to it. And it became a human issue, right? And it's like you're seeing that again happen today. It's because it's not, it may have started with catalyst, one catalyst, but now it's become 
this accumulating human issue. And I think that's why it's gone global, right? And yeah. it's, uh, so every day it's hard to, I got to turn the news off. It's like, it's great to see something happening, but then I need to turn the news off and let me just go dive in the pool for an hour and just leave me alone for an hour. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's really it's, like that. Yeah. Do you yeah. think it's more in our faces now because of technology with well, social you know, media and getting that amplified? I think your media, different types of media has always played a role. If you look at what happened in the 60s, which was the last time we had some type of real movement like this, yeah. it was the television mm -hmm. that made a difference. Families during that time sat around and their entertainment was the radio in, the, you know, in, their, in their homes. When the television was invented, Dr. King knew this was an opportunity to tap into the consciousness and he took the risk with peaceful protest. And his view was, I'm going to bank my faith on the consciousness of, of America. If they turn on their televisions and they see what's happening, the fire hoses, the dogs, and all these other beatings that are happening on television, they have to change. It has to change. And I think we're seeing something similar with the camera phone. I think it's having a very similar impact because there's so many killings that have occurred that we don't even know about yeah because they weren't recorded and so i think that the camera phone is, is kind of drive having a very similar effect that the television did during this time i think that's part of what's driving the awakening beyond just the the, the end of the people who are typically impacted by this every day so we touched on culture and we also looked at leadership principles of okay we've gathered data we've taken quick decisive actions moving forward we wanted to kind of delve a little bit deeper with you on that, Eric, and kind of get more of the vision and what your moving forward looks like and how that impacts our culture. Great question. I can tell you that this is a bit of a, a pivot for me, obviously, coming from the business line, although this has always kind of been a passion of mine. And so I'm taking some time now to do a lot of listening. I can't tell you how many individuals in the company have reached out to me and everyone that's reached out, I've made time for them, you know, and, and, had, and listened to their stories and listened to their ideas and listened to what they want to share and how they want to contribute, as well as externally. I've done a number of different podcasts and joined different webinars just to get an idea of how other companies are tackling this as well. And so that, a lot of that is kind of coming together into, you know, a vision of, of a structure, a global structure. That, that again allows us to put together a sustainable model, something that takes us beyond the moment, something that allows us to have the type of, of impact on the, on the one Genesis culture that goes beyond achieving business outcomes. And I've said that a little bit earlier, right? I mean, that's to me, that's the goal, creating an umbrella for global awareness. You know, when you think about inclusion, another word that for me that draws a, a parallel to inclusion is, is belonging. If you're like me, you probably spend 80 plus percent of your time at Genesis, right? And the other 20%, you're, if you're fortunate, you get it with your family and friends. If I'm going to spend 80% of my time and energy here, it needs to be a place where I feel like I belong and I can bring my authentic self. And so we'll have a number of different pillars that we'll put in place that will drive that sense of belonging, whether it's creating cultural awareness of, of, of different uh, people's different ethnicities, maybe their food or different holidays that they celebrate or different things that may be unique to their ancestry and lineage and so forth. I think 
doing that on a global scale, us having that type of awareness of each other, I think it allows the individuals that come from those different groups or different places to you know, create that sense of belonging and inclusion. And then from a diversity standpoint, it is ensuring that we have an environment that celebrates the uniqueness and differences of the different people that make up Genesis, right? And there's different ways to approach it. You know, we're talking about uh, different affinity groups that we would look at deploying across the company globally. There is a, an advisory council. When Tony and the leadership team made the decisive action that they did to create the the Office of, of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and I was fortunate enough to, to get the nod to lead it, there was a note sent out to the company and almost uh, an invitation for anyone who may want to contribute. And, and the idea was let's form this advisory council of people across the company that can help us contribute to what we established here. We have over a hundred and some people in growing that have signed up and not just, oh, hey, let me know what I can do type thing. This, these are emails of people saying, count me in. I want to do X. I want to contribute Y. You know, and so we'll leverage that council to help us shape and form the overall strategy and the bigger picture. And then when it comes to equity, for me, it starts with the data. Everything we do in our space is data-driven. And it starts with unpacking the data and really understanding where the gaps are, where the imbalances and the inequities are, and what strategies, what tactics, what do we put in place to start closing those gaps, to truly work towards a level playing field. And it's not going to be a sprint. It's not going to happen overnight. You know, I see it as a marathon, but I do see us taking decisive actions, immediate actions towards getting that, that overall infrastructure in place. And again, you know, culminating into a strategy, a sustainable strategy that we can look at five years from now, however long it is in the rearview mirror, and be able to measure and track the type of progress that we're making across each one of those pillars. Whether it's, you know, looking at different strategies with how we hire how we conduct performance management, how we promote individuals in the company to any type of pay gaps that may exist in the world. Well, how does that, what does that look like here at Genesis, right? And, and how do we work towards closing those types of gaps? So it's just a few examples, but it's, that's kind of the overall thinking right now. Still very early, a little bit primitive. So give me a little bit of room and a little time to pull it together. But I think the momentum and the enthusiasm is there from, from the workforce. And I think the commitment is there from the leadership. And I think those two things combined is going to drive and fuel where we go next. Yeah, I just, I would just say, you definitely have the commitment of me and the leadership team. And I think you, you know, you kind of said, well, it's primitive, but I think uh, it's a pretty good plan of attack for us to go execute against. And, and to your point, I think the most important thing is, is we make progress and we learn and, you know, what isn't working, we, we fix what, what we thought might work and isn't right, you know, we'll adjust. And it kind of comes back to what you just said. And I just want to say one thing, you know, uh, maybe for the audience, uh, it feels like you've been in this role a long time already. And actually, officially, you don't start for another seven days, I think. <laughs> and so I just want to say, Eric, you know, you're a magnet. I think I speak for the whole company. We're, we're drawn to you. You need that and a leader as well. It's not just uh, about just making sure that we, you know, we kind of, as you mentioned, you know, KPIs, we're going to have to execute against it and, and, and the company wants to see that. And I want to see that and you want to see that, but don't underestimate uh, the power of what you've already been out to affect, whether, whether it's, you know, I just think about, we made a statement around Juneteenth, but I think more importantly is you helped us uh, get the ability to understand and learn about it. It's, it's one thing to celebrate it. It's another thing to take some history and learning and done in such a, wonderful way uh 
with such a great you know speaker who really had educated us and so i think there's many ways that we'll work through this but i would just say from my perspective keep doing what you're doing because it's, it's phenomenal and we'll support you through that journey and i think i speak for everyone in the company to say it. we're off to a good start but we just got to keep raising that bar and raising that bar and learning and raising that bar i appreciate the vote of confidence and i appreciate the trust so it's exciting one final question for you both as you are looking to move the company forward and placing us more in that forward thinking space what do you envision this to look like for the greater tech and also just greater corporate setting for what diversity equity and inclusion could look like and how we would take that leading step and space obviously the, the, you know there there has to be a focus on closing some of the inequities that we talked about earlier and creating the the awareness and the sense of belonging and inclusion and and all the things that I just kind of talked about you know a few minutes ago but but when you take it outside of genesis and you know and again still kind of to be discussed there has to be some level of community engagement i personally believe that the community engagement has to be one that is is intergenerationally driven we have to put our stamp on the next generation of, of individuals that are coming through society, our, our kids, and 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 and, and, it, and maybe even the younger you know, generations younger than them. And I, it, because I think it creates a pipeline of talent that allows you to feed whatever diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, structure we build at Genesis. You got to have a pipeline of tomorrow that can come and continue to feed that and be that growth. And I think the impact that a company like Genesis or any other corporate company can have by reaching back into the communities in which we live, in which a lot of our employees live, and, and, and many of them are serving on the, in their own individual base in terms of volunteer work and connecting to something systematic where you know we're having an impact on not just the employees and creating a safe space here, but having an impact outside of Genesis. And I, and I believe that it, it has to be rooted in connecting with the next generation of leaders in the, in the, in the next uh, pipeline of talent. No, I think we're already starting to see it. I think we're starting to see that the private sector has the biggest and most important role to play in this incredibly important change that we must have for society. I know that sounds like a bold, big, overarching statement, but just think of Genesis. It's, it's 5,500 strong, incredible, talented team diverse by geography and diverse by culture. And yet we know that we, we, we can do more. And we've touched on that in some of the initiatives. And we're just the microcosm of, I think, what you see across so many companies. And growing and thriving companies, at the end of the day, they're only as good as the people. And to, to Eric's point, I think there's an intergenerational moment here uh, where we can all affect that change and keep companies thriving and being able to contribute in a positive way by the actions that we take and no more so than ever. I think that extends beyond, you know, not only what you do within the company, but what you do within the communities that you serve. And that extends to how we think about the future of education, onboarding, training, you know, it goes way beyond sort of the unconscious bias or conscious bias, frankly, the training that, that we're already kicking off. And I, I think that tech plays the biggest role because part of the, the movement and the change we've seen is, has always been sort of under, underlying, been driven by tech. We touched on it in a separate conversation outside of the podcast, but you know, some of what's happened is that there's so much availability now to these moments and people are seeing it raw and, and real and, and firsthand because everyone has a the ability to capture these moments real time in their pocket as part of their daily life. So I think to your point, Mari, we, 
we have a very important role to play. I don't want to overstate it because it's it's a it's a big challenge, at a global level. But we have to be stewards of this and do what we can to further that for the company, but more importantly for the stakeholders around us, the community, the path. Because we're it's not just important at a personal level, but I think it really is what will help make the change and keep it sustainable. Eric and Tony, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your leadership through empathy and uh, for your guidance through uh, some really, really uncertain times for us. And again, thank you for this conversation. Thank you for taking a moment with us. 